So, we've been in this series on in Moses, following Moses, uh, the great, the, one of the great patriarchs of the, the Jewish religion, who becomes an essential figure in the formation of our faith as Christians, as Jesus was a Jew and was a, was a good Jewish man. And so we, we learn about um, Jesus so much more as we dig into Moses and, and Judaism and, and part of who he is. But we also uh, learn lots of lessons as the, these people from many thousands of years ago learned what it was to be the people of God. So we've been, we've been in this. And, and as, as we've um, th- thought about these things together and, and thought about the nature of love and how it all works and how it grows and what it is and what it isn't, we come to a place now today where we talk more about the practicalities of love, loving God especially. How do we do that? How do we learn to love God with all of our heart, all of our whole, uh, all of our mind, all of our, our strength? How do we do that? Um, and uh, I, I was reflecting so much this past week as I was preparing this on my own spiritual journey. And I've shared a little bit of, of this with the congregation, but, but not, the, not, not the whole picture. Uh, I'm not going to do that today. But there's one specific uh, piece of, of the puzzle for me. Uh, kind of, I, I would call my, almost my moment where I uh, had been a, a Christian my whole life. I grew up in a Roman Catholic uh, family. And I had this, I had this uh, s- really significant moment that took all of that uh, experience, all of that tradition, all of week after week of going to church and Tuesday nights going to CCD uh, education, all of that came to a head in a moment in my life. And I wanted to share a bit about that with you guys today. It, was, it happened here at the end of this pier, in a place called, I think it's called Corolla, but it might be Corolla, I don't know. It's on the outer banks of North Carolina. And my family was vacationing there just before my senior year in high school. We, we took a vacation and stayed in a hotel out here and had the lovely time. There's wild horses still left in this area. And uh, it's a lo- lovely place. Uh, my junior year of high school was quite a miserable one. I, uh, I ended up uh, dating a girl who I fell head over heels for. And in my own sense of uh, personhood, in my own sense of brokenness, I, I didn't really know how to relate with someone who was a girlfriend. I, 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 didn't, know how, I, I didn't know how to um, build a healthy relationship. And that's, there's lots of reasons for that. But my junior year of high school was just a disaster because of that. And this, this, um, this girlfriend ended up, she was a year older, she was going off to college, and she like, sort of dropped me, Mike dropped me at the end of it when she graduated. And I was devastated. And I went off that summer to uh, a camp, uh, uh, I guess a, a Christian camp. But before that, my family went to North Carolina. I've got a, a first cousin who, her, her name's Christine. She um, has Down syndrome, and she is the, one of the hearts of our family. And she's an amazing human being who she and I had a, a, a childhood growing up sort of together, and um, we, we were very close. And so every, every summer, we would go to uh, Special Olympics, you know, and we'd be part of that whole amazing organization and, and doing the, especially the track and field. And Christine would go from uh, gymnastics to softball to, to track and field, and she did all the, the gamut of it. And so we went because that year she had made the, like the, the World Olympics, of, the World Special Olympics was being held in North Carolina. And so she was gymnastics. So we went there and we rooted her on and we had an amazing time. 
I was, I was, my, my family didn't know it, but I was just, I, my heart was broken the whole time. I was just in pieces, you know, trying to put myself together, making smiles, going to these events, collecting little pins at the World Special Olympics, as you do. And uh, then my family, after that was over, went out to this, this Kerala. And I remember just feeling broken the whole time, feeling like I, I was more in touch than I ever had been with my own smallness and limitations. And there was just one night where my family was all asleep, and I went out to the end of this pier, and, and me and God kind of had it out. I was like, I'm, I don't think anyone was around. I hope it was before YouTube, so that's good. So I was, I was screaming at God. I was yelling at him. I was, I was just angry at this, 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 you know, this God who I'd always heard about, who had so let me down that year, who had so let me down in my own personal life and my relational life. And I remember just having this, it, was, it wasn't a visionary experience. It was almost just like this, something came over me where I couldn't really speak. It was like I was being humbled or something. I don't know. I don't know how God does these things. But I just fell silent. And out of, out of the heavens, somewhere between there and my heart, I heard God just speaking to me and speaking words of love over me. And you are, you are my son. I am with you. All the brokenness that you experience, I can gather it up and, and, and change you and transform you. And it was just that. And I was at the end of this pier. I remember thinking, what an amazing God this is that could silence my anger and break into my life. And then I, right, the week after that, I went to a camp, in, a Christian camp, and recommitted my life to God. And, and that, I haven't looked back after that. That was just a foundational experience for me. And so I began... Um, kind of going off the Jesus freak deep end. I, I, the, my senior year of high school, I was like the kid who is, uh, I had binders, you know those binders that you used to carry around? I had binders full of like those cards you get at the Christian store, you know, like the footprints on the sand was one of them, Jesus' picture. And I had taken take, uh, masking, not masking tape, packing tape and put laminating it over. So everyone saw me carrying these Bible verses around my Bible with me. Um, and... For the, my, my, my senior year speech, uh, you know, we were in speech class. You have, you have your senior year speech. You give this, this grand speech. And, um, and I, I spoke for a half hour. It wasn't a Christian school. It was a public school. I, I spoke for a half hour on the gory details of the crucifixion and why it should matter to you. And I remember just like watching, I think Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ was out right around then, you know, so I was like going for it. And I remember just seeing like deer in the headlights. <laughs> and that my, my speech teacher, or English teacher, she, I think the, the one comment was, wow, you, you know even more than I do about this, something like that. And so I was on, I was on this intense spiritual journey and spiritual high. And so I went off to college and I just devoted my college life to ministry, to learning ministry, to ministering to young adults in my local church and starting a kind of a young adult ministry at uh, my college, kind of an outreach type of thing, which didn't really go anywhere, but it was a good experience. Uh, but I remember having, usually you know, the Corolla, the end of the peer experience, that's not normal for me. I, normally my, my, my relationship with God is far more uh, even keel, far more just kind of slogging through the everydayness of life. But I had one other experience on, it wasn't a pier, it was on this bridge in college. This is called Sylvan Island. I grew up uh, in Illinois. This is the uh, little offshoot of the Mississippi River here, the, the big part of the river is way up here. 
And so this is a little island called Sylvan Island. And this is a place known for like hobos to live. Bad things happen here on this island. You don't go there. And these little, you know, these bridges across it. Our college campus, where I, where I met Eve, was about a five-minute walk away from this place. And I remember one night it was thunderstorming, and God said, Keith, meet me at Sylvan Island. Ugh. Okay. And so I remember getting, it was, it was thunderstorming. I got on, you know, the appropriate rain gear. And I started walking. And uh, you, you start going through rougher neighborhoods as you get to this place. And I'm thinking, this is a really stupid idea. I'm by myself. It's nighttime. It's thunderstorming. I shouldn't be here. But I just had this tugging, Keith, come on, come on. And so I get to the bridge, which is, looks like this. And... Um, I crossed the bridge over into the woods there, where um, it's scary. And I kneeled down and pray, and it was like, I kneeled down, and I prayed. I said, all right, God, I'm here, and now I'm gone. So I got up, and I went straight back across the bridge, you know. <laughs> and I remember at the edge of the bridge, he's like, I'm not done with you yet. He said, I'm not done with you yet. And so I turned around. This was like three years after Kerala. I turned around, and I said, even if, if you're even there, you gotta, you got to speak to... And before I said me, this huge lightning bolt, boom, right on Sylvan Island. And the thunder roared, and I just was like, again, okay. <laughs> and so I, I, God, God has brought me uh, in my life through many small experiences, but a couple big experiences where he has shattered into my life, into my, my angry dialogue with him, into my small understanding of life, and he's broken in and captured me and captured a hold of me. And we've been talking about love, and love has all sorts of different metaphors that we've talked about. It's like a father tending a child to sleep, or it's like freedom, finally freedom from slavery. Or it's like a feast where we gather around and we'd rather be servants and the, the people serving everyone else their food rather than gorging ourselves on it. Or it's this long and painful journey or a washing and a baptism. And, and I, we kind of have to, as, as we get to defining love, what exactly is it? It's willing the good of someone else without looking for a return. This is what it is, essentially. We learn to be people who will good things for other people without reciprocity, without expectations that they would give something back to us. And, and that sounds nice until we get into our relationships that mean the most to us. And when this doesn't work, when love, sacrificial love, doesn't define these relationships, our love transforms into some sort of, as C.S. Lewis called it, some complicated forms of hate. And we all know that our love, the less than pure love, can sort of get twisted and sort of go awry. And so as we've talked about that God shapes us and turns us into the image of his love through long and painful journeys and then through washing and baptism. And that was last week. We talked about that. If you missed that sermon, you can check it out on the website. It's podcasted up. But as, as I think about these experiences on water and crossing bridges and taking these long and painful journeys that we do go through that God uses to form us into the image of his love, I think to myself, uh, what are the practicalities of this? When God shows up in big lightning bolts, that's great. But for whatever reason, most of the time, he chooses to walk alongside of us with infuriating silence. And so... What do we do? How do we love God in the midst of, um, of this reality, of this long and painful journey that feels like a, a washing? So uh, 
we, we, we look back to Moses because, you know, we think so, oftentimes we think of the New Testament as the, the, the book of love. That's where love really comes. The God of love shows himself up there, whereas in the Old Testament it's this God of wrath and anger and hate. But if you read closely and if you, if you take all those stereotypes of the Old Testament God and put them aside and you read the Old Testament, you actually read it, you find that God is already at the very beginning of the story characterized by this amazing, passionate love. And so we get, we, we've been traveling with these people, these Israelites, all along the way, trying to ask ourselves, how did they do this? What can we learn from them? And we get to the end of Deuteronomy, which is the final book where Moses shows up. Where he, well, he comes in the New Testament a little bit. But uh, uh, the final place where he, his earthly life is, is over, it's at the end. And so he's on uh, the plains of Moab, looking across the Jordan River into the Holy Land, and uh, he has one final thing to say, and it, it's characterized by this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And so, so he gives this sermon, and it's the end of Deuteronomy where he, where he really wraps it up. I mean, if we want to talk about the final overture, the, fi- the grand finale... Well, we'll talk about the grand finale next time. But the, the grand uh, finale, I did, I did this before, Debt 30. It's Deuteronomy, D-E-U-T. Um, where he, we get to Deuteronomy 30, and he, he has this to say. He's wrapping it up. This is one of some of his final words. He says, surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, for it is not too far away. And if you read the commandment, it's this five Old Testament books worth of commandments. It's not easy to do. But Moses is saying, surely this commandment that I'm commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. So I read this and I think to myself, Moses is saying to them, and I think to us too, that this faith thing, this loving God thing, seems like it's so complicated. It seems like it's so hard. We, go, we have our ups and our downs. And sometimes we just think, I just don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to love this kind of God who doesn't always do what we want him to do or doesn't always make sense. But Moses is saying to his people and saying to us too, all of this is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. And I think we need to hear that sometimes. Sometimes we need to hear, like, you, you can do this. God is with you. You can learn to love him in spite of anything. It's, it's, it's possible. And that's, that's a word of encouragement for us today, I think, um, as we go through the trials and tribulations of our life. This, this thing of loving God is, is possible. We can do it. Now, but what does it look like? What does, what does it mean? So he goes on, he says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. 
And, and we look at this and we think, okay, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. We just got to follow God, walk in his ways, observe his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, and not follow other gods. And you know, on paper, it's easy, right? But the God, following other gods, if, if, if this sort of word, language is new to you, this is the language of idolatry. And the, lang the language of idolatry says that if there's anything less than God that you end up devoting your life and pouring your investment ultimately into, that somehow this leads our heart and twists it, leads it astray and twists it. That, that the living God, the God who created the whole universe becomes our focus and we become lost in his presence. And it's so easy because, I mean, it's so difficult. It's not easy. It's, it's so easy to, to fall into idolatry because that becomes anything that, that benefits us. And this is where the love piece comes in. It's our families, our jobs, intimacy, money, uh, safety, security. All of these things end up, I mean, all these things are good in their own right. But they end up taking our devotion away from God onto these things. And when we do them, Moses says, it's like you're choosing to perish rather than having prosperous, long life. So, uh, this, and this is the challenge here. I, I, I don't want to go too far afield here because I want to get to the practicalities. But this word prosperous is a challenge for us because we think of ourselves uh, at least in this community, as, as those who would resist what we would call the prosperity gospel, which ultimately says, if you follow, all the, if you follow this formula, your relationships, your money, uh, your job, all of that will be, you'll be blessed materially in wealth and with wealth beyond reason. And, we've, and we find that Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he says, if you want to look at prosperity, if you want to look at what I mean by this, I'm going to ultimately show you by giving myself up for you with nothing in return. So uh, anyway, just a, a little footnote there. But God is saying somehow, even though you may not always define prosperity as I do, if you follow my ways, if you cling to me, you will have uh, a blessing in this life. So he goes on. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. So he, he, he kind of is, is closing off his, his sermon here. And there's three things to, to talk about. The practicalities of loving God are right in here. If, if you, it's loving the Lord your God, that's sort of the big thing. And then it's obeying him and holding fast to him. So obeying him and holding fast. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast. Loving God is obeying him and holding fast. So we, that, that's, our, that's our guide point. If we ask how do we love God, it's in these two things. Holding fast to him and obeying. And, and I want to talk about holding fast first. Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection wrote this little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And if you haven't read it, it takes about an hour. It's a tiny classic, and it's all about holding fast to God. And he says this, practice the presence of God. Take delight in and become accustomed to his divine company, speaking humbly 
and talking lovingly with him at all times, at every moment, without rule or system, and especially in times of temptation, suffering, spiritual aridity, disgust, and even of unfaithfulness and sin. And Brother Lawrence tells us that holding fast to God every day, taking delight in him, speaking humbly with God at all times, that in this way, he's found a way to hold fast to God. So if you had to pick this apart, it kind of looks like this. Frequently calling to mind God without a system. I'll just read a few bullet points here and then I'll talk about it. Loving gaze, waiting on God, silent conversation. Work hard to carry on little conversations, not carefully prepared, but purity, with purity and simplicity of heart. Like this, my God, I am all yours. God of love, I love you with my whole heart. Lord, make me according to your heart. He says, stop as often as we can for a moment. Adore God from the bottom of our hearts to savor him by stealth, as it were, as he passes by. And if we read this and we take this to heart, Brother Lawrence is saying it's possible that in the midst of all of our responsibilities and all that that we're doing, to pause, to learn, to train our hearts to pause in the midst of laundry, in the midst of washing dishes, in the midst of uh, balancing an account, in the midst of taking care of your grandchildren, in the midst of anything, it's possible regularly to stop and just to, to adore God and give our hearts to him. It's practicing the presence of God. Uh, being aware that he's always with us. He's always there. I've, I've, I don't do this well. I'm not great at this. But I have learned to train myself in my, in my day to take moments, to take time to adore him and to, to, to stop what I'm doing and say these. I love these little things. God, my God, I am all yours. God of love, I love you with my whole heart. Lord, make me according to your heart. I love these. But what, are, what are the things that you might say to God? Make, make up your own little quips, little things you might say to God in the little, in the little windows, in the little pockets of your day. Uh, this, this is holding fast to God. Uh, if we don't hold fast to God, if we don't practice this, we do often find ourselves slowly drifting away from him, slowly drifting away from understanding him, slowly drifting away from our affection for him. And so it is important that we learn to train ourselves day in and day out to worship to offer our praise and adoration to God. And it, uh, Brother Lawrence said, you know, what you, we ha- well, the way that you do this, you have to do it with adoration and humility. And the, what he means by that is it's adoration. It's learning to adore God frequently throughout the day and offering that up to him. But doing it in humility because uh, it's like we are small, feeble prone to wandering hearts. We have them. We all have them in us. And so it's like uh, when we fail, when we fail at our life or when we fail at loving God, the proper response is, huh, what a silly person I am. God, without you, this is how I would be. It's not beating ourselves up, tearing our, 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 you know, our garments and getting all angry at ourselves because we just can't force ourselves to love God enough. It's far more like this light prayer. God, uh, wow, I just I completely botched that up. And that, just, that reminds me about how much I need you. All these little practices, you train your heart to adore God in, in humility. And when we, we experience moments like lightning and experience the, the crash of God's voice in our heart, we don't go, 
wow, I, I must be special. God's speaking to me. It's, wow, the living God would choose um, the living God would choose to reveal himself to me even though I know that I haven't been faithful to him. So it's humility. Humility is a key in doing this because if we beat ourselves up, if, we, if we're oftentimes just beating ourselves up or if we slip into puffed up pride, we won't be good athletes. We won't train, our hearts won't be trained. We'll, we'll slip out of this stuff. So we do this in humility, talking lovingly to God. And he says, do it without a rule or system. At the top point there, without a system. This is not asking you to memorize long prayers that you say 12 times a day. This is whatever is on your heart, learn to pour it out to God. Pour it out to him. Whatever's on it. When I, when I meet with folks and do spiritual direction and, and pray, oftentimes all I'm doing is just creating a space around them to do this. Creating a space around them, giving them freedom and time to have these little moments with God where they pour. Because it's hard to do alone. It's very difficult to do alone. And we need each other. And when we're around each other, when people create space for us, all of a sudden it's, oh, I can do this. I can do this. It's, this is possible. So Brother Lawrence, he's, he's asking us to hold fast to God frequently with a loving gaze, working hard to carry on little conversations with God, have, training this habit all of this, stopping and adoring God as he passes by. He says this. It leads him to this conclusion. Yeah, In times of temptation, especially in temptation, we should have recourse to God with complete confidence, remain steadfast in the presence of his divine majesty, adore him humbly, tell him of our troubles and weaknesses, and ask him lovingly for the help of his grace. And we will find him in all the virtues we lack ourselves. I love these words. I just love how he's putting this together because it, it paints this picture beautifully that when we get into this space lovingly adoring God, trusting that he's there, asking him, telling, telling him of our troubles, we do come back to this metaphor of the father lovingly putting his son to sleep or his daughter to sleep. And uh, there is some profound experience that it's difficult to put words to of peace when you get in that space where you have your heart open to God and you're offering your troubles, offering your heart to him. And especially in times of temptation, we should have recourse with God because as we've discovered, the what, God, what God does to us is he takes all of the evil situations that we go through, all of the trials and troubles. He doesn't cause them. He doesn't, he doesn't create them. But he inserts himself in one second later and begins doing stuff with it. And one of the things he does with all the trials and temptations is he works on our love. He shapes us in our long and painful journey into people who learn to love with this perfect love like him. And so especially in times of temptation, especially in times of trial, we need this practice. We need to learn and train ourselves to come to him lovingly for the help of his grace. And then it will find everything we need, everything we lack, we're gonna, what we find in him. Then we get to obedience. So if that's holding fast to God, then the other key is obedience. Now, obedience for Christians is, is tricky because if you were a Jew, you had the, the, the law written on paper, on stones before you. You knew what to follow and what not to follow. Well, what happens when Jesus comes and dies and resurre resurrects 
is rather than following the written laws, he puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we learn, to, to, we learn the mind of God and we do it on our own. It's like we, we were once under a babysitter, as Paul puts it, in the law, who is kind of keeping watch over us. But we've matured now. We've grown, is the metaphor. And, and now obedience looks a lot different. It looks more like uh, listening to that still, small voice in our hearts. And it becomes confusing and difficult and challenging in its own right to learn, what's my emotion? What's my will? What's my want? What's my part of the puzzle? Now, the least we can do, the, the reason why the Old Testament's important, the least we can do is find God's heart there and don't transgress sort of past what, what his general will is for us. But learning obedience is an important part of love because we follow him. We, we learn to walk in his ways, again, with, with humility and with gentleness. But uh, I've, I've uh, adopted this thing called the A's of appraisal. Uh, I found it in a book, and it's really helped me out. Uh, appraisal, it's like trying to make the right decision uh, about what to do in every little circumstance. Uh, and it goes like this. Abiding in awe-filled attention, apprehension, acknowledgement, argumentation, assessment, affirmation, application. Now, the, the amazing thing about this is like it looks like really complicated, but I, I've learned how to do this within a flutter of a heartbeat, all of them at once. And uh, you start by making sure that, okay, God, I need, I need some guidance. I, need, I want to obey you. What, what should I do in this scenario? What should I do in, in what I'm going through? Of course, we read, we read the word and we learn his, his revealed will there. But then, but then we first start by adoring him, worshiping him. We open our hearts to his majesty and his praise. And I say little things like, God, you're the king of the universe. God, you are the one who gave me life. I'm abiding in attention to you, but it's an awe-filled attention. So I start there. And then apprehension. What, what is the stirring? What am I hearing? What's, what's in there? What are the things that I wouldn't say? I'm trying to discern between my own will and his voice. And then once I hear something, then I, it's acknowledgement and argumentation. Then we get our fists up to God and say, you know what? I'm acknowledging that I think you're saying something to me right now, but now we're going to argue about it because I'm gonna, we're going to have it out. And God loves that. He wants that. And then the final thing or the, the next thing is assessment. Okay, how, what's all happening here? And the final thing is affirmation and application. This is where it takes the courage to say, you know what? I don't understand God. I don't understand why you're calling me out to Sylvan Island, but okay, uh, I'm going to go. So th this is a process that uh, I've learned, and it's really helped me over the course of time in learning to be obedient to God and follow his ways. And again, it happens, it's like, it's like um, I don't know, blinking. How does one blink? If, if, if a brain scientist were here, they might have a whole thing about, well, the, the neurons and the whatever, they fire off and they send this thing down to your eye and your eye muscle contracts and, you know, and, and does this and it opens up again. Okay, so yeah, that's right. That's, that's what this is saying. But when you blink, you, you blink. You know, it, you don't think about it. It happens. It's involuntary. And this, this type of thing becomes involuntary. You're walking, I don't know, I find myself walking down the street and feeling a still small stirring because I see something in need. I see uh, someone struggling and wanting to carry something. Or I, uh, I'm supposed to say something to this person. Or, um, wow, uh, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to say the wrong thing to a person I'm having a fight with or I'm in, in, in issues with, and so I've got to listen. Should I say this or should I not say it? And the voice of reason comes in, and then also the voice of God. And sometimes you just you learn, you learn this process, and it goes very quick, and you think, okay, I'm obeying you. I'm going. So 
Obedience is important. We can talk more about that. But the final thing, practical thing I want to talk about today is journaling. And I just have the one word journaling there because I know that this, I've been talking about the importance of journaling. Um, I know not, not a lot of us love this. Not a lot of us love to keep a journal because it's laborious, it's hard, it's, um, we don't oftentimes even have the right words to say when we do get a pen in our hands and try to start taking notes. It's just, it's not easy. Uh, but brothers and sisters, uh, I don't know any better way to take the long, hard, struggling journey with God without journaling. Uh, I'm not talking about writing a novel every day. I had a friend who just at the end of every day, he wrote down five points. This is what happened to me. These were the significant points. Boom, 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 boom. Takes five minutes. But what we need is we need a record of God's faithfulness to us. We need a record of the times that he does come through. A record of the times where he shows up in thunderbolts and stilling our angry hearts on the end of piers in North Carolina. We need a record of God, um, of, of, of him taking care of us. Because you know what? We're going to always go through things that don't make sense. When we're in the midst of what we're going through, when God's taking on that, us on that long and hard journey of shaping our, him shaping us into the image of love, it's very confusing and it's very hard. And so in the midst of it, we need to keep on, keep on yelling at God, keep on talking to him, keep on finding ways to keep this record of our relationship with him. What, what I do is I've got a binder. I'm not going to tell you which one it is because I've got 100 binders in my office, so don't go looking in my binders. <laughs> uh, I'm just teasing. It's not really juicy stuff. But uh, what I do is I start by just spewing at God because in the early morning I'm, I'm confused. I'm, my emotions are just waking up, and so... I have worries, I have anger. I just start saying, here's what I'm going through. It ends up being about a quarter of a page. And then, and then I take open a, a scripture. I'm re- I go through the Psalms. I'm in the Psalms right now. And I read a Psalm or part of a Psalm, and I just open my heart, abiding in awful attention. God, I love you. You're with me. You're, you're my rock and my strength. And then I oftentimes, every, every time, I find something that just jumps out at me. It's God's voice speaking to me, and I write that down, the next thing. And then after that, now I've got my own spewing and then God's carefully loving word to me. And uh, I take a moment to just relax. Almost this, this moves into meditation almost. It's like listening to the voice of God and, and what he's told me in his word wash over me. And then I just do a little last paragraph and that's it. That's my journal entry for the day. My own, my own troubled heart, God's own loving words back, and my response. And uh, let me tell you, when I'm diligent with this, the peace that surpasses all understanding is a prevalent part of my life. When I don't do this, I am a miserable storm, and you all are learning when those days are that to keep away from me. So, uh, yeah, I know this is hard. It's not for everyone, but somehow we've got to keep this record. Somehow we've got to keep this conversation going. Journaling is a lovely, important way to do it. The night that he was taken up for us, Jesus had a meal with his followers and told us to remember him for all, for all ages. Remember the sacrificial love that he had for us. But if you're paying attention and if you do understand that Jesus isn't just a emotionless deity floating through time and space. If you understand that he's a real human being, 
you understand that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's pouring his heart out to God, when it doesn't look like he's going to last another 24 hours alive on this earth because his own people have rejected him. He comes into the Garden of Gethsemane and prays this unbelievable prayer. He says, Father, take this cup away from me. He's saying, I don't want to be killed tomorrow, God. He's very real. He's not just blithely going through this rejection. Father, take this cup. But in a heartbeat, he turns the corner, the hardest corner to turn. But not my will, but yours be done. And it says that he prays so much in agony that it's like he sweats drops of blood. And the scriptures say at, at that point an angel comes and cares for him and tends him. This, this is, Jesus isn't just our example of suffering and how to go through it. He's the perfect example for us of how it is to have an ongoing loving relationship where we hold fast to God and where we obey him, where we obey God. Jesus was a faithful servant to God. And so uh, Jesus... What does he do? What's his inclination? He, he could have done a hundred things on the night before. His inclination was to take some time out and lovingly tell his heart to God. Share his struggles. Share his worries. Share his, his gut-wrenching feelings and thoughts with God. He comes into the presence of the God and practices it beautifully asking his disciples to stay awake. But they're weak, aren't they? So they're falling asleep, unable to, to follow him and do this. It's, in this. it's in this moment where we find that being a true Israelite, being, being someone cast in the image of, of Moses, someone who is, is called to be uh, the image of perfect love in this world, uh, shows us what it looks like to, to do this as well. It's finding times to lovingly adore God throughout our days and especially in times of trial. So I'd invite us to think about Jesus. I love, I love this picture. I looked at a lot of pictures of the Gethsemane garden scene and a lot of them have Jesus, I think, too much in despair. I don't think Jesus was feeling despair. I think he was, but he also wasn't just Praying a prayer like, oh, would you please give me my new pair of shoes? You know, like, it's, not, it's, it's gut-wrenching, pouring my heart out to God. And as he does so, he is filled with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because we know that right when he was done praying, the, the policemen of the area came. And his own disciple Judas, who's one of his good friends, kissed him on the cheek and betrayed him and gave, him, gave Jesus up for what? What was, what was the, the reward for, for Judas? 30 drachmas of silver or something like that. Not even close to selfless love. But Jesus had composure, and he went through the next 24 hours with unbelievable faith in God. And even on the cross, and I think that, that Gethsemane experience, the clinging to God, holding fast to him in times of, of agony, gives him the strength to, on the cross, um, sing Psalm 22. And if you remember how that goes, it's, it's a long thing, but Jesus picks out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's on the cross singing this psalm. Why, why have you forsaken me? If you read on in the psalm, the devotee, the, the person who's devoted to God and loving God says, the, the bulls of Bashan surround me. 
the torrents overwhelm me. It's this pouring out of, of agony to God. And yet the psalmist takes the same turn Jesus did. But yet I will praise you among my people, says the psalmist. And so, my friends, as we learn to love God, as we learn what it is to go through this long and painful journey where we get shaped into the image of love, I'd invite us into a life of prayer, invite us into a life of journaling, inviting us into a life where we're constantly coming back into the presence of God, lovingly adoring him. And as we do so, um, we find that where before our hearts would be all bent out of shape when we didn't get what we want or when things don't go our way or when relationships aren't adding up to what we'd hoped that they'd would be, or when we start having to love and care for someone with a long-term illness, or when, um, name the situation where you're going to be called to love someone who can't give something back to you. In those instances, we find ourselves on this journey realizing that somehow, rather than lashing out, rather than wanting our own piece of the pie, we end up adoring and giving it back to God, and somehow our hearts, instead of becoming narrow with selfless love, become larger and widen, and they open up with this unbelievable, divine, selfless love that God gives to us. So that's our invitation. That's the type of God we're serving. That's what he's doing with us. That's what he's wanting for, for and from us. And so every week we come to this table remind, reminding us with the bread and the juice that Jesus gave himself up for us, that he didn't have to. There was, there was no compulsion. I mean, he, was, he, was, he, he could have, he said, called down a legion of angels to free him, but he gave himself willingly for us, showing us what perfect love looked like. And so if you're new to this table, this is a great symbol of our, the Christian family meal where we say, I want to become this type of loving person as well. So come and take a piece of bread dip it in the juice, take Jesus' own sacrifice into the core of your being and find in community together, find ourselves coming to be shaped radically into the image of this, of this beautiful man. So the table is set here, brothers and sisters. Everyone is welcome.